Yeah, my name is Scott, and I'll be bringing the Bible reading to you tonight. And if you open your smartphones and turn on your app, reading from Luke 5, 1 to 11, and 27 to 32. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. There he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And then from 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Scott. Lee, I ripped this off the table that you had set up for supper, but just to show you... It's a little bit lighter, but it's the same material. So as Danny had said, a couple more washes of my shirt. Yeah, I've already had Danny and Graham offer to give me some uh, clips or something so I could put it on as a cape and I thought, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. But this probably is that I should just wear it as a servant or something. So can I give that to somebody to take back? You can Um, It goes on the table at the back that I ripped it off. Good evening, everybody. (laughs) Uh, That's totally wrecked my day, in fact. This is a Christmas present from my daughter and son-in-law. They bought me tablecloths. They won't hear the end of it, I'm telling you. But it just goes to show what happens to fashion, doesn't it? You live long enough, it just comes around, then you wear it. We're going to pray and begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a great day. Thank you for this morning's services and the congregations and the fellowship afterwards. And we thank you for tonight's opportunity to worship you again. Uh, We thank you so far, Lord, for the service tonight. And we pray now that as we come to place ourselves under the authority of your word, we pray that you would be pleased to speak to us. Lord, we are listening. And we do intend to obey that which you say to us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me and people would hear you and they would remember what you say and that we might commit ourselves to honouring you even more in our lives. We thank you again for our church, for each other and for the blessings, this opportunity we have tonight for you to minister your grace to us. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I forgot my water. Thank you, Trace. There's a cup, there's a mug full of water. I don't know what I've done with it. Somewhere down there. 
Vision Sunday. Um, in one word, our vision can be communicated in terms of connecting. I'll come to that in a moment. Before I come to the emphasis for what this year is, on this Sunday each year, we uh, prayerfully come to a point of saying, uh, <laughs> thank you, Trace. Um, what we believe God's emphasis, focus for us this year should be. Um, and of course, it's built upon a bedrock of a truth, which is true for all churches in the world and true for the, our church, this church. And that is the Great Commission, that the Lord Jesus is the head of the church and that he is the one who tells us what to do. He doesn't change his mind each year. And so that stays perennially the same. And so for us, our mission statement is that which stays true, which is based upon a text of scripture, Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 to 20, which talks about uh, where the Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the one with all authority. He said, therefore, on the basis of that, to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the priority to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And thirdly, and to teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Then with a promise, and I will be with you to the end of the world, end of the age. And so that's where we find ourselves. Since the Lord Jesus gave that command, those instructions, the church faithfully throughout the millennia, throughout the centuries, has been endeavoring to do exactly that. The way that we express it, each local church expresses it maybe slightly differently, these words are not in concrete and they are not sacrosanct. They're not uh, unchangeable. We can change them at any point we like. What we can't change is our commitment to the Great Commission. The way we express it and have been expressing it now for the last 10 years or so is that we are a church who is committed to working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. To work with God, transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. Let me just as I do each Vision Sunday, uh, unpack that a little bit and remind us about this is what's really important. Breaks into three parts, as you can see there. The first part, we're working with God. As Stephen Ball said to us last Sunday morning, if you were with us, that um, this reminds us that God is already at work, that God goes ahead of us. He's the one who initiates it. It's God who's got to do it. It's impossible, in fact, for us to make anybody become a follower of Jesus. Absolutely impossible. We can't do it without him working through us he does it through us he won't do it without us he could but he chooses not to he chooses to involve us in it so the first part of our mission statement is that we are committed to working with God to observing him he's already out there uh, working in people's lives convicting them of sin giving them a desire either to start reading the Bible or to start coming to church or to have a conversation with somebody that's my story that's how it, it happened for me the light went on and Jesus was drawing me to himself and I didn't know there were lots of people in the church who were actually praying for me in the small country town where I lived <clears throat> and so it was a process and undoubtedly that would be similar for you so we are committed to working with God to identifying and observing what he's doing in people's lives and what is God doing convicting drawing people to him because he wants to transform them it's a beautiful word, the word transform. It appears at least a couple of times in the New Testament. Next slide. Thanks, Tom. It's a process. It's not something that happens instantaneously. Conversion is an event, but transformation is a process. And transformation reminds us that it's about people who need to change, and we all need to change. As I'll remind us again tonight, we all have sin, we are all sick, from God's perspective and we all need redemption and healing um, if we go to the next slide then there is this diagram which uh, we've been using for the last I don't know five six years or something and that outlines for us the process and we're going to build upon that this year um, the U on the far left stands for those who are uninterested the S stands for those who are seeking. The cross obviously stands for where people become Christians. And NB stands, GB and MB stands for new believers, growing believers, maturing believers. And so it's a process of moving people from the left to the right. There are people on the far left who are in the U category, whatever word you want to use for them. But they are people who are, they could be atheists, they are indifferent, they are opposed, they're not interested. They could very well be the enemies of the faith and the persecutors those people 
that God still passionately cares about. Jesus died for them and he wants them to hear about him and to repent and to be forgiven for eternity's sake. It's all sorts of people, all stages and all levels of life. The S stands for, if we go back to that diagram, the S stands for those who are seeking, uh, people who are curious or even asking questions or who are open to the possibility of coming with you, maybe to church or maybe to a life group or maybe to some other Christian event. They're open to having a conversation. They might even be open to receiving a Bible or reading parts of it and talking about it. They're open. They're seeking. They're wondering. They're not quite there yet. Then the cross obviously stands for the point where a person comes to that point in their life where they repent, where they believe, where they ask for God's forgiveness, where they acknowledge Jesus as Lord, where they are saved and transformed. And then, of course, they become new believers. A new believer is somebody, I don't know, uh, naught to 12 months of age just young in the faith and there are things for new believers to know and to grow and to change in their life and then they become growing believers which are well how many years one to four one to five something like that and then after that if you've been a christian more than five years then you ought to be in the last category of a maturing believer And if you've been following Jesus for longer than that, and it's quite possible, the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 12, talks about you should be teaching others by this stage, but somebody needs to teach you again the first principles, the elementary principles of God's word. They had put in time, but they hadn't matured. They hadn't been obedient. They hadn't been transformed as they ought to have been. So that's our process of helping people move forward. Let's go to the next couple of slides. It's for all people, all stages, all characteristics. And the end goal is to turn them into passionate followers. New believers can be passionate followers. Growing believers can be passionate followers. Maturing believers can be passionate followers. So at each level, we can be passionate. We use the word passionate in our ordinary, everyday conversations when we talk about that person's passionate about. And some of you have passions. You're passionate about football or golf or movies or coffee or whatever you're passionate about. And we use words like that. We say, man, that guy's passionate. When we say that, we mean, what? They're enthusiastic, they're keen, they're unashamed, they're committed to it, they're devoted to it, they talk about it in an unembarrassed way. Well, that's how we should be about Jesus. Committed to him, loving him, unashamed, fully devoted, fully obedient to him at each and every stage as we seek to follow him, as we adopt his values and take on his character. And it's a process, obviously. Well, that's what the ministry of our church stands for. Every program we have, it's got to fit into being part of this, to work with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. That's the game that we're on about. And so this year, what are we going to do to achieve that mission? How are we going to advance that cause for us as a church? Well, sharing with the pastoral team, we came up with several things, and some of them were continuing, obviously, from the past. Uh, But the one word that was shared, actually, it was Scott on the pastoral team who said connecting. Use the word connecting. That's the word. And as soon as he said it, that sort of resonated for me and for some of the other members of the pastoral team. And so that then sort of led to a little bit more thinking and praying and searching the scriptures. So connecting is the one word which encapsulates what we're talking about this year. It has three parts to it. It's all about connecting. Just like last year it was about pause and pray and the year about that was the word was grace. This year it's about connecting in these three ways. The three ways are, what's the next line? The three ways uh, I can find for you in this one verse of scripture, which I found in my readings. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says, When the Lord Jesus went up on the mountainside, he called to him those whom he wanted. They came to him, he appointed twelve, he called them apostles. For three reasons. One, that they might be with him. And the passage actually says, and that he might send them out to preach. Firstly, that they would be with him. And then secondly, that he would send them out to preach. Now what Matthew doesn't spell, Mark doesn't spell out for us, but what fits for me and our talk for this year, our vision for this year, is this, that Jesus called people firstly to be with him. He called 12 of them to be with him. So you're called to be firstly with the Lord, secondly in a group context, and then secondly that group is then sent out. That's the basis of the connecting. That's what our theme, our vision for this year is. As we work with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus, we want to connect firstly with God 
in prayer. Talk about that in a moment. He wants, I think, us to connect with one another in groups, just like he put the 12 into a group. And then thirdly, and emphatically this year, the Lord wants us to intentionally be connecting with those who are outside. For the people who are yet to become followers of the Lord Jesus, evangelism, with our friends and our loved ones, our work colleagues, our neighbours, and whoever else the Lord wants to bring into a relationship with us. Connecting with God. So let's talk about those three things. Number one, connecting with God in prayer. Now this continues last year's Pause and Pray. And last year we had four goals and we um, did pretty good on the front three and we did pretty bad on the fourth one, which is why I think it's a continuing one for this year. Uh, Private prayer, praying personally, uh, families praying with one another in our families and praying in our life groups, according to the surveys that we did, saw improvements. Not huge improvements, but certainly growth and development in the people who responded. Over 70% of our people responded to those surveys and that's an analysis of the feedback that we got. Um, But the fourth goal was that we would also gather together as a church to pray. And we didn't do that too often last year. And when we did do it, we didn't do it too well. And so this year we want to uh, improve that for us as a church. We believe the Lord wants us to learn, to experiment, to discover, to grow in this area. And it's not just praying personally. It's not just praying with our family, our loved ones, wife and kids and so on. Not just praying in a life group when you meet in your Bible study groups. But it's us coming together when the church, when we call you together for a prayer meeting. It's coming together to pray. The Bible illustrates this for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. It talks about how Jesus has ascended. He said, stay in Jerusalem until the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. And so for 10 days, 120 people, 100 about the number here tonight, gathered together to pray. And for 10 days, it says, um, they all joined together constantly in prayer. This pattern is repeated, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to prayer, Acts 4.24. They raise their voices together in prayer to God. Or Acts 12.5, Peter's been arrested. But the whole church was earnestly praying to God for him. And they must have had, you know, thousands of people, and perhaps in different locations, but large groups of people praying together. Now, I'm not sure I know how to do that. How to have a prayer meeting with this many people. But I'm willing to experiment, I'm willing to discover, and I'm certainly wanting to be obedient to what I think the Lord is prompting us to do. Is God concerned about numbers? Yes and no. No, he's not concerned about numbers. He's the creator of the world. But he is concerned about numbers, I think, when he looks at the church because he looks for unity and he looks for this commitment of purpose to it. So it's not the numbers which is important, it's rather the reflection of our heart attitude, of um, the desire of our hearts to be here, to be committed to being here and to praying together. And stumbling, I think, and we will stumble. Uh, Sometimes I expect we'll do it really well and sometimes we'll probably do it poorly, but the Lord wants us to learn and to move in this direction as a church, to learn to pray as a church and to pray together. Um, The Lord Jesus, in fact, um, this is why I think the Lord wants us to learn it, is the Lord Jesus links prayer with effective evangelism. It's a pretty consistent New Testament pattern. In this passage, Matthew 9, you're familiar with this, where the Lord Jesus had uh, been going to towns and villages, he'd been teaching, he'd been preaching, he'd been healing. And the passage says, but when he saw the crowds who were harassed and hassled, they were helpless almost without hope. They were like sheep without a shepherd, the passage says. Jesus had compassion on them. Turned to the disciples and he said, the solution to this, of people being harassed and helpless, being in a hopeless situation, the solution to that is for you to pray. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. That's what the Lord wants us to be involved in doing, working with him, joining him in what he is doing. Um, So prayer is linked with evangelism. It's again in Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul links prayer and evangelism on numerous occasions. It's just one example. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it 
Look for the answer. Watch for the answer of God answering your prayer. And thankful. Be thankful to God when the answer comes and be thankful to God in advance. And Paul says, and also pray for us, the apostles, the missionaries, the ones out doing the evangelism, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim it, proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. And he goes on to talk about, help me to proclaim it not only boldly, but to proclaim it clearly. And then he makes the, the link with, as followers of the Lord Jesus, watch your conversation. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt, full of grace. So there's a link between prayer and evangelism and our conversations with people who are outside the kingdom in this passage. Or, um, finally, um, evangelism is linked with prayer in those passages in Acts that I've already referred to. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, They gathered together, they were praying for 10 days, and that preceded the outpouring of the Spirit and 3,000 people becoming believers. Acts chapter 4, they gathered together in the upper room, and that precedes an evangelistic effort again, and that pattern is repeated in Acts. The church praying and effective evangelism happening. And it's been true for the last 2,000 years throughout church history that when the church gathers together to pray, when God is going to move, he gathers his people together to pray. And then in months, years, in God's own appointed timing, revival comes. And there is massive conversions and very effective evangelism going on. I think I shared this morning that it was the apostolic expectation and their experience that in normal everyday life with whatever you do every day of your life whether it's at work or at school or it's at uni whatever it is in that context that there would be opportunities to talk about Jesus that God is at work and all you have to do is to be open to him and obedient to him and courageous and or honest enough to take those steps not everybody is going to respond it's not always going to be easy Sometimes it's going to be wonderful and you're going to be on a spiritual high and sometimes you're going to hit brick walls. Yesterday, I went shopping with Rhonda. We do our grocery shop on a Saturday morning. Went to Woolworths, which is where we shop. They don't pay me for these plugs, but they're not a bad store. Rhonda had to go off and get something else that we'd forgotten or something. And so I'm there with a chick-out chick and uh, going through this stuff and she started the conversation, as they often do. You know, it's a routine conversation, but I'm always happy to engage them. And she said to me, what sort of a weekend have you got planned? I said, oh, it's pretty quiet. I'll do church tomorrow and, you know, watch a movie or something at night. When I said I'll do church tomorrow, she stopped scanning stuff and she looked at me. And she looked at me as if I had said, I'm going to kill a couple of kids this afternoon. (laughs) She was like horrified. Just, who are you? (laughs) So, brick wall. That conversation is not going anywhere. But other times I simply have said things like that. I'm going to church tomorrow or I went to church on the weekend. I did this and this. And that leads to the person saying, what was it like? And, you know, what did you do? And so on. It leads to open conversations. God is working in different people at different stages. It's not my job to be pushy. It's not my job to have to force it onto them. I just have to be open and honest. To be available to the Lord to see what he would want to do. And I think that's what Mark chapter 3 Verse 14 is emphasizing for us that evangelism is also linked with close fellowship with the Lord Jesus and with others. It's we are called to be with him in the context of a group and then to be sent out. Evangelism flows out of this relationship with Jesus and with other believers. It's the overflow of our own spiritual walk with him. So this is the first emphasis for this year, connecting with God in prayer. It's the upward look not just personally, as I have said, but publicly. And as I said this morning, I think God wants us to be like two-year-olds. He says that we have to become like children. And I thought about this this week. I like watching kids. And you learn a lot from kids. Children are very honest. They haven't been socialised enough to disguise their truth or their honesty. What does a two-year-old do when they are anxious or scared or worried they got their arm around their mum or dad's leg and something is happening which they're not comfortable with what do they do they do this they turn to their parent and they go what does that mean hello yeah you know what it means yeah 
pick me up, get me out of this situation straight away. There's a terrible situation that I'm involved in and I need help. That's the position I think God wants us to be in. Just like two-year-olds. So when you get into a situation and you have a need, just lift your arms to your Heavenly Father and say, Lord, I need help. I need your intervention. Please, thanks, Ross. <laughs> Ross is taking photos of me tonight, so he's going to get me at all different... Um, po- oh, you didn't get that one? Uh, <clears throat> that's the... Pos- yeah, I need my cape. <laughs> Vision Sunday. Church of ordinary people. That's the, very ordinary pastors. God wants us to assume the position. I'm not advocating, though I am not disparaging either, that he, to lift your hands in prayer. Do you have to lift your hands in prayer? No. Is it helpful? Yes. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.8 commands, I want men everywhere to lift holy hands to God in prayer without anger or arguing. 1 Timothy 2.8. But I'm more interested in the hard attitude of assume that position. Heavenly Father, help. I need your help, intervention in my life. I need your assistance with this. Can you come and help? That's the first priority for us this year. And not just individually, but corporately. Us coming together. Hundreds of us coming together. Um, let this be our response throughout this year. How are we going to implement this? Well, uh, probably through things like regular perhaps monthly prayer meetings the pastoral team will set this agenda and I'll do that prayerfully in response to God's leading there'll certainly be seasons of prayer pre-Easter pre-kids club pre-carols those sorts of things we'll call you pre-election of elders or members meetings we'll call you together and say let's pray whether it's one night or whether it's a season I got told after I was reminded after this morning service that March 2nd or 3rd is uh, the national day of prayer so we'll get that information out to you. But from that date until Easter, there are 40 days. And so in Australia, there is this call of 40 days of prayer for revival. And there's something on every day, apparently. So we'll get more details and share that with you. And perhaps we'll even be participating in that. Um, and encouraging one another in the process. That's the first one. I'll be quicker on the second one. Um, connecting with God in prayer, together in prayer. Secondly connecting with one another Um, and to do that in all sorts of ways some of you do this incredibly well god has gifted you and shaped you this way before the service after the service uh, inviting people to your home or connecting in restaurants or coffee clubs or whatever it is but especially uh, the emphasis here is about connecting with others in a small group a bible study group we call them life groups that has specific purposes Um, and one of the main purposes of the life group is for us to get to know one another in that group to be accepted but also to be honest and to talk about what's going on for you so that others will know and others can pray and can support you in it we have life groups that meet each week we have life groups that meet fortnightly Uh, i know of one life group that we have that meets monthly and there might be a couple of them, but I'm in one of them that meet monthly. I went to some families and three other couples and I said to them, how about you guys connect into a life group? And they couldn't do it. They said, weekly is too hard. We just don't, can't fit into our schedule. And we start, we do it for about three or four or five weeks and then at the end of it we feel guilty because we can't keep it up. Our, our lifestyle, our work doesn't allow us to do it. <clears throat> uh, they've done the fortnightly thing and that didn't work. So for them, I said, why don't you do monthly? And so now, for the last year, we've been meeting monthly with these six other couples. And the deal is that we have to be honest with each other and we pray and we talk about whatever we've been talking about in terms of the theme in the life of the church. But it's open, free for all. Anybody can talk about anything in the life of this this group. So that works for them. The point is, find a group, get in a group, join a group, um, start a group. And there's been a sheet out in the last two or three weeks about us uh, recruiting or calling for more group leaders and we're willing to offer training for that. If you're in a group and it's a large group, what's large? Uh, Certainly anything over 10 is starting to get large. Best size for a group? Can't be dogmatic. My experience, eight people. Eight's a great number. Once you get more than eight... It's fun, it's good, but it's more difficult. People then start to talk less and some people can be missed out. Less than eight is maybe a bit too small. 
but that might be reflecting me and my personality as well. Eight's a good number. Can you have 14, 15, 16? Sure, if that's what you want to do. But at 16, you could form two groups and invite others in. Anyway, the point is whatever size group or whatever type of group for you to be committed to being in a group where you are known, open and honest and where you can be accepted. That's the best way for pastoral care to happen in the life of our church. I think Jesus understood that. I think that's why he called the 12 to be with him, for them to get to know him, but for them to get to know each other. And it would be an interesting series to, th- to work through in what does the New Testament reveal to us about how did Matthew and Mark and these guys influence one another because they're on a group together? We do get some information in the Gospels about their interactions. And God certainly grows us in groups where people can speak the truth to us and hold us to account and follow us up. Um, I had a, <clears throat> have uh, another senior pastor friend of mine um, and I was playing golf with him a couple of years ago. I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not. And uh, I asked him, he was in pastor of a church <clears throat> on the Gold Coast, a church about the same size as ours. And I said to him, how do you do pastoral care? Uh, his initials are Russell Hines. <clears throat> and he said to me, we do pastoral care through our small groups, our care groups, pastor, uh, Bible study groups. And I said, how does that work? And he said, well, basically, if you're not in a group, we don't care. (laughs) I did what you did. I laughed. And then I stopped and thought about it. And he was very quick-minded, very quick-witted. And uh, he said, actually, that's the basis of how our church, we're not a church that has small groups. We are a church of small groups. If you're serious about being in the church and be part of the church, you need to be in a small group. Uh, where you can connect in because it's church this size it's so easy turn up to church nobody talks to you go home and just sort of fall through the cracks Um, I got a letter this week from not this week just recently from a couple uh, who've been part of this church for a few years uh, but they haven't been attending Sunnybank for about six months and uh, they were disappointed that nobody including me nobody had either noticed or nobody had contacted them were they in a small group? No. <clears throat> That's not an excuse. That doesn't excuse us. I'm not suggesting that. But it would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if you were in part of a small group, that if you weren't in church for weeks or months, that somebody in the small group would be noticing you. Somebody would be reaching out and contacting you. Um, uh, yeah, these folk, were ju- they just church attenders. They were not in ministry. They weren't doing They weren't in a life group. So... Um, They're expecting a fair bit. Um, They're expecting an unrealistically amount of me if they expect that I'm going to notice all 600 of you. And if you're not here on Sunday, that I'm going to remember that. Can I be very candid with you? It's something I'm working on and will need to work harder on, but I have people bump into me in the supermarket and they go, G'day, Pastor Darrell. And I go, Hi. (laughs) Who the hell are you? There are people I don't know. And there are people I know your faces. And there are people, many of you, I know your names. Yeah, now you'll test me at the end of this, won't you? Well, it's okay. My commitment is I want to know all of you. So I will work very hard at that. But uh, I'm not wanting to put it all on me. It's us as a church and that pastoral care will happen in small groups. Therefore, we need to encourage you to get into small groups, life groups. So connect with God in prayer. So we come together corporately to pray. Commit to committing yourself to being in a group, joining a group, starting a group, whatever, um, and being uh, encouraged and supported in that process. Here's another one. I had some people come to me saying, listen, I'm in a small group, but the small group's not in our church. That's fine. Or uh, we have other people from another church who come and they're in one of the small groups, which is part of our church. That's fine. As long as you're in a small group, That's more dangerous, but it's better than not being in a small group. Why is it more dangerous? Because if you're in a small group in another church and you stop attending this small group, and if uh, you stop attending church at the same time, how will the other one know? And so the possibility, it's only a possibility that the small group will assume, oh, they're at church, so they're okay, somebody will be looking after them. And they're not at church, and so somebody will assume they're in a small group, so the small group will be looking after them, and you fall through the cracks. Does that make sense? 
Now the reality is, if the small group was doing what they ought to be doing, someone should contact them. And if the church is doing what it ought to be doing, then we ought to contact them. <clears throat> As we did it tonight, and I said this this morning, um, <clears throat> I, I often stand you up and ask you to turn around and to greet people, and, and some of you enjoy that, and some of you hate it. I'm in the second category. I don't like it. When I go to another church and they ask me to stand up and turn around and greet the people because I'm only visiting that other church. That's not my church. I'm just visiting, so I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to connect with people that I'm not going to have anything to do with. That's me. Um, and so I know for some of you that doing it here, uh, you hate it. You do it and you do it reluctantly. Well, why do I make you do it in a church if I don't like to do it myself? Because I'm the senior pastor. <clears throat> because the only reason I do it is because of this thing that I've been talking about, that there could be people who have come here tonight and nobody has spoken to you yet. So I want at least someone to talk to you. And I know it's a little artificial. I know it's a little uncomfortable or awkward or whatever but at least there's a higher chance you meet someone for the very first time shake their hands whatever when you do that there's a higher chance you're going to say something at the end of the service that someone's going to talk to you that's the only reason i have no other reason so here's the deal as i said to the eighth the morning congregation you make a commitment that you will commit yourself every time you're in church every sunday that you're here that you will talk to the people who are beside you and around you you make that commitment and I'll stop doing it. Deal? Yeah, same six people as I got this morning. <clears throat> Thank you for coming back and repeating it just to encourage us tonight. Now I know sometimes you come to church and you know, you've got uh, things on. You're here in church, glad you're here. Um, and some of you have got to rush off because you've got other things you've got to get to. Sure, that's true for all of us. That happens, I understand that. So you can't do it all the time. But most of the time, that's not the case. And so let me encourage you to try to connect. Come to church prepared to be his agent of influence, to reach out to others who are around us. Okay, first one, connect with God in prayer. Secondly, connect with one another. And then thirdly, and emphatically for this year, for us to, because we are connecting with God in prayer and because we are building a safe environment in groups and hopefully in the life of our church, then we can reach out to others and invite them into a safe place. Invite them into a place where people will speak to them and accept them. This is that second story, that Matthew, uh, Luke 5 story, where Jesus is walking along and he um, comes across a tax collector's table by the name of Levi, whose other name is Matthew, the guy who wrote the gospel. And as Jesus is walking along, we're not given the whole story. There'd obviously been some conversation, relationship development before this. And Jesus comes to Matthew, who is a tax collector, who is sitting at the tax table, which is a clue. That gives us an insight. If you understand the culture, then tax collectors were the disconnected from their society. They had abandoned their culture, abandoned their people, and they had... Uh, probably abandoned their religious faith or practices. They weren't welcome in the synagogues and they didn't go to the temples. They had sided with the oppressing Romans and they were really uh, legalised con artists. They were rip-off merchants and they were earning a lot of money. And most tax collectors did not sit at their own table. They employed somebody else to sit at the table because of the verbal abuse and other things that would be coming their way. But here is Matthew, Levi, sitting at the tax collector's table gives you a clue that here is a guy who is disconnected and who is indifferent. Now, he doesn't care what other people think about him. He's in a situation where he was potentially quite hopeless and certainly helpless. And Jesus seeks him out and says, I want you to be part of my team. I want you to follow me. The Lord Jesus has a heart for people who are far from God and he goes looking for them. And Matthew responds to that, that tug that was in his heart. And he starts to follow the Lord Jesus. In the process, of course, I wonder what his other business tax collectors and friends thought about him abandoning everything. He gave away a successful business and went off to follow this homeless rabbi. In the process of time, uh, the passage doesn't give us this, but there must have been some time elapsed. And Matthew puts two and two together. That he wants his previous friends, his tax collectors and others, who were also disconnected from society and 
uh, disconnected from their religious practices. He wants them to experience and encounter the Lord Jesus. So he thinks about what's the best way for that to happen. And he comes up with a plan, which is something that he obviously did many times in his life. He held a party and he invited his previous friends. He invited his new friends, the disciples, and invited Jesus. He's taking a risk and he is assuming that Jesus is going to accept, not judge and condemn and reject, that he's going to accept them and he's going to relate to them. Matthew invites them, they come, they're having a wonderful time, but unfortunately, in the story it tells us, the party poopers turned up, otherwise known as the Pharisees, and they were judgmental, they were the religious elite, and they were critical, and they were critical of the Lord Jesus. And they said, um, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you even associate with them? To which Matthew doesn't have to give an answer, or Levi doesn't, Jesus does. Jesus says, listen to his words, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I hadn't noticed it before, but I noticed it this week, that the Lord Jesus just called Matthew and all of his friends unhealthy. He called them sick. He called them sinners. And he's maybe being a little bit sarcastic with the Pharisees of saying, it's not the healthy, you guys who need a doctor, it's the sick. It's not the righteous, it's the sinners that I have come for. And it doesn't appear that Matthew or any of the other people were offended by Jesus' statement about them. I'll tell you why. Because he accepted them, because he had a relationship with them. Too often we as Christians, or we as a church, the church, has wanted to condemn sinners and we've offended them because we don't have a relationship with them or we don't accept them. So we haven't earned the right to speak those sorts of words to them. I told the story this morning of another pastor in another church who had a guy come to his service and came and sat right down the front, right in front of where he was preaching. Sat with a lady who was a member of his church and this young guy who was... Um, visiting for the first time that morning had on a t-shirt and he had something written on the t-shirt which would have been offensive to anybody well to most people who in the church who would read it I'm not going to tell you what the words were but it had mother and the next word started with f and that went across here and had some other statement underneath that and he spoke to the lady about it afterwards He was certainly taken aback by it and he would have thought, I'm going to tell that kid to turn that t-shirt on the inside out and it's sort of the Holy Spirit grabbed him and checked in his own heart and spirit and so he didn't have that conversation and eventually he found out through her that when she picked him up to bring him to church, he's wearing this and she saw that and she thought about saying to him, you need to change the shirt, you can't wear that to church. And then she thought, maybe the Holy Spirit gave her some wisdom. If I say that to him, what is the message he's going to get? If you want to come to church, you have to change. We do not accept you as you are. Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Would we be comfortable with people wearing T-shirts like that? here well I'd put up my hand and say no I wouldn't be comfortable with it but would I do it yeah I think I would I think that's what Jesus did I had a young guy come to me after this morning service and he said I have been taught he's from another culture in another country he said I have been taught that we are not to have anything to do with non-Christians we're not to pray for them and we are not to have dinner with them we're not to eat with them or drink with them we're not to associate with them in any way And he came to me after what I was saying this morning and he was thanking me and it was different for him. To which I just simply said to him, if that's not true, that we are not to associate with or have anything to do with because Jesus did. Jesus went to their homes. Jesus rubbed shoulders with. Jesus has a heart for people who are far from God and he's keen for his church to be involved in reaching those people. Is that going to be messy? Yep probably 
we're a middle class comfortable church and so it's things would change for us but I think that's what God wants to do he wants us to get real in the real world invite people and people are going to come who won't be churched who won't be neat who won't be tidy and uh, and I know it's easy to say and we'll accept them but that's the challenge gang that that's what we have to do to get to know them and love them that's what Jesus did he saw Matthew he named him and he called him he called for a response all hurting people have a name and Jesus knows it he knows your name and like Matthew he called you to follow him as well and we need to do what Matthew did Matthew remembered his previous friends his non-christian friends he didn't give them up and wash his hands of them um, somebody said to Spurgeon one day what should I do with my previous friends Spurgeon said don't worry about it you continue to love them and reach them eventually they'll give you up that's quite true they won't want to hang around with you but don't you be the one to sever the ties always leave the door open Matthew thought about his friends and he responded to it he, he was creative he came up with the idea of a party we should have more parties shouldn't we uh-huh. um, and he invited Jesus took that risk and he was certainly trusting Jesus to do something so we need to be just like that we need to value our friends be creative rub shoulders with unbelievers in fact um, Ralph Neighbour is the one who gives this five and five principle and this is something I have taught before and something I've practiced before but as I confess this morning it's something I've also uh, gotten slack in and it's dropped away and so I'm in the process of um, lifting my game on this the five and five principle is this you have five people and you name them you write their names down and you commit to praying for them and you have five other people who you name and whom you are praying for on a regular basis these five are in the ones in the you category the ones who are uninterested who are atheists who are indifferent who are opposed to the gospel and pray for them and these five are the ones who are in the s category those who are open those who are seeking those who have some interest of what's going on and pray for them and this is what you're praying for that they'll move from that group to this group that you'll be involved in the process of helping them be transformed moving towards becoming followers of the lord jesus that can take years which is not an excuse but a true statement that's one of the reasons why for me this group over here has sort of dropped off because you pray for years and you get tired you don't see any change and is it worthwhile and so the lord has challenged me about that this week so we need to value our friends <clears throat> and like the lord jesus said to that group we're all in the same boat we're all sick let me tell you about this remarkable lady her name is Marlene Paquette I'm not sure I've said the name right Marlene Paquette it's a true story and it happened last year she is from North America I think she's Canadian um, and she's about late 20s 30 years of age um, and she wanted to row from Halifax in Canada across the North Atlantic to France about 3,000 miles just over 3,000 miles and she's going to do it in a 24 foot rowboat so she set out about the middle of last year about June sets out and after 83 days at sea having been capsized a number of times and been through storms and everything else after 83 days where she had not seen another boat another living soul 83 days at sea and had not seen land at the end of 83 days she was running out of supplies she had radio contact she was running out of supplies and she was at the point where she was also giving up hope she wasn't quite halfway and she didn't think she was going to make it to the end so she radioed back to her people and she said barring an old-fashioned miracle this is not going to end well she thought she was at the end and they break off and because it would have been perhaps too long for some them to get to her or whatever and so she fell to her knees and she prays dear God I need your help can you please do something push pause on that story it's another story where these will link up there is a huge ocean liner and I've never been on an ocean liner but it's on my bucket list that I'd like to go on an ocean liner one day this one's called the Queen Mary 2 
It's 1,100 feet long. It's 23 stories high. I think it would be extremely expensive. And all it does is it goes from New York City to Southampton, near London. One week, seven days and seven nights. People get off, people get on, they restock their supplies, seven days and seven nights, and they go back again. And that's all it does, backwards and forwards, this luxury liner, the Queen Mary II. Huge ship. Well, about halfway crossing the North Atlantic one time, getting close to the place where the Titanic went down, in fact, the captain comes on the PA and he said, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be diverting the ship, changing course, Uh, we're going to be uh, slowing the ship and we will eventually come to a complete stop. By this stage, everybody on the ship is listening, or two and a half thousand passengers. Um, He says, the reason for this is that we have received a radio call from a young lady, 30 years old, Marlene Paquette, who was in trouble in the North Atlantic, about 100 miles from here. We are the closest. And so we are diverting course to go assist her, according to you know, nautical manners, that's the right thing to do. And so that's what they did. And so here is Marlene McQuitt. God, I need help. Can you please do something? So the captain radios her and said, I understand you're in need. Uh, The Queen Mary will be there in a couple of hours. (laughs) She must have thought she was delusional. She hangs up the radio and sure enough, a couple of hours later, the ship slows down, comes to a complete stop, and here is this 1,100-foot, 23-huge-story uh, cruiser, line cruiser, next to a 24-foot boat. All 2,500 passengers plus the 1,500 crew are all on the edge, all looking down. They're lowering down to her watertight containers to resupply her with water and with food and so on. That took quite some time for her to load that on and stow it away. And then as the ship then powered up and motored away, sailed away, uh, she held up a sign which simply said, thanks. And then a passenger on the Queen Mary 2 reports and says, he was watching her and he saw her fall to her knees and do this. And gave thanks to God. Passenger on the ship who tells this story says, She's got a story to tell for the rest of her life that I was rescued by the Queen Mary II in the middle of the North Atlantic. And the person thought about that and they said, we have a story to tell. That the God of heaven sent his son, diverted him from the course, sent the best to die on Calvary's cross, not only to redeem us, Not simply to pull aside for a one-time help, but to come alongside us each day and every day and to journey with us to life's end. And in fact, so that we arrive at our destination, home, safe and sound. We have a story to tell to people. And that's what God wants us to do in this third priority. Connect with him in prayer and to pray especially for those outside of Christ. To connect with one another and to get to know and love and support one another and build a, an accepting, safe environment for the purpose, for the intention of reaching out. My question to you is that are you up for this? Will you come and pray? Will you join a life group? Will you ramp up your evangelism efforts? For some of you and for many of you, you probably already get two out of the three. You could already tick them, whatever the two out of the three is. Perhaps you already attend our church prayer meetings, so you've ticked that one. Perhaps you're already in a life group, you've ticked that one. So what you need to focus upon this year is, I need to ramp up my evangelistic efforts. I need to learn more about it and be open to what God is doing and uh, take the courageous step and have the conversations just honestly with people. Maybe you're already passionate about evangelism and you're in a life group but you don't come to the prayer meetings or whatever the other combination is that you can have. My question for you is that God wants us to be doing all three. And so let me finish with some questions the Lord Jesus asked his disciples because in Luke chapter 5, the Lord Jesus is about to select his disciples. The gospel's slightly different order. And in this passage, 
It's in Luke 6 where he gathers them together where he's going to spend all night praying and he's going to select the disciples. So this is before March 3. Up until then, he had conversations with these people and he put them in different situations. And in this situation, I love this story, the Lord Jesus is preaching and walking around and there's a huge crowd following him and he comes to the lake and there are two boats there and there are some fishermen over there who are mending their nets and Jesus doesn't ask. Jesus gets in one of the boats, happens to be Peter's boat, and then he says to Peter, can you just push me out a little bit from the shore where he can sit down and teach the people? And there's a question the Lord Jesus asks. Next slide. And the question is, will you do this for me? Will you do what I ask? Whatever it is. Will you let me use your stuff for me to teach God's word to people? That's his question to you tonight. Will you say to the Lord Jesus, when he says, will you do this for me, will you say, yes, I'm willing for you to use my stuff, my resources, my time, me, for you to communicate your word to others. And then Peter does that. Having finished teaching, then uh, Jesus says to Peter, how about you get on board and we sail out into the middle and... um, then let down our nets for a catch of fish. And Peter objects. He says, Lord, we've been out there all night and it's, it's the wrong time of the day and we weren't successful. And he objects, but then he submits because he says, Lord, if you say so, I will. So the second question Jesus asks us is, will you, will you do as I say, even when you disagree with it, even when you think you know better, even when it makes you uncomfortable, will you do what I ask you to do? My answer is yes. I want it to be yes. I want to do what the Lord asks me to do. And I hope that's your response as well. And then, of course, when you do what the Lord asks you to do, as uncomfortable it is or as weird as it is or as strange as it is, when we submit to his direction, then the blessing comes. It's then this huge catch of fish comes that they would not have received if they hadn't been obedient. And then, the passage is not as clear on this, but I imagine the Lord Jesus in the boat watching them. Because in the process of discerning, who am I going to call to be my apostles? And he's watching them. What's going to be your response to this incredible blessing you've received? You're going to pat yourselves on the back, you're going to say how clever you were, how lucky you were. And of course, Peter's response is one of humility and confession and They were all just astonished. And so they gave the credit to him. So too for us. When we have these gospel conversations, when we connect with people and God uses us to make a difference, don't fall to the trick and temptations of the evil one who want to pat you on the back. But make sure you return the glory to him. It's all about him. And then finally they come back to the shore and Jesus invites them um, to leave everything and to come follow him and to come fishing for people. That's the fourth question. Jesus' question to us, will you join me in transforming people into my followers? Will you join me in transforming people? I want you to leave everything or at least be willing to leave everything. Joel Lowe, whom many of you know, the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and very unusually interrupted his university course and said, I want you to leave this for 12 months. I want you to go to Sydney with student life and I want you to serve there. And Joel said, yes. Perhaps he'll touch you on the shoulder. And the Lord might say, I want you to leave this situation. I want you to go and be a missionary. I want you to go to college. I want you to be a pastor. I want you to change careers. I want you to do something different. Will you join me in helping other people become my followers? And for many of us, the Lord won't tap us on the shoulder and say, I want you to leave this. But rather, he'll tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to stay where you are, be the best at what you're doing, but I want to use you where you are. But I've placed you in these network of relationships and situations where you can be my witness. You can be light in the midst of the darkness. So stay where you are. Be the best architect, the best lawyer, the best pharmacist, the best student, the best manager, the best contractor, the best builder, the best teacher, the best whatever you are. Be the best you can be for him so that he gets noticed, that people notice the difference in you. So that's our 
vision, that's our understanding of our priorities for this year, connecting. Connecting with God in prayer as a church, coming together to pray. Connecting with one another in groups where we can make significant difference in our lives with the intention of connecting with those who are outside the church, who are outside the kingdom, who need to hear the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you left everything, came into this world, sold out completely, obeyed the Father's every instruction and every desire and brought great honour to him and incredible salvation to us. And now you invite us to join with you as you continue that very same process. We acknowledge, Lord, that you go before us, that you're the one who is at work, and you invite to join you. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see. Open our ears and help us to hear you at work. And then, Lord, give us the courage, the willingness, the boldness to join you in it. Then, Lord, we also know that you're a God who looks for unity amongst your people, and so you're inviting us as a church to demonstrate that unity together in prayer. Help us, Lord, to, be, to learn and to discover how we can do that much better and to please your heart in it. Increase the number of people in our life groups, Lord, but most of all, I pray that you would increase the number of conversions, that you would save the lost, lead us into relationships that are going to make a difference for eternity. Use us, Lord Jesus, as you will. We pray in your name. Amen.